true story. A Polish man goes to see his dentist, which happened to be his girlfriend. Well, was his girlfriend until two days before when he told her that he was leaving her for somebody else. But strangely, he still went to her for major mouth surgery. And so he's there in the dentist with his ex-girlfriend as the dentist. And she looks at him and she is furious. And while under sedation, she, without him knowing, pulls out every single tooth. He didn't know until he went home, smiled, no teeth. I tell you what, friends, Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 7.8 was absolutely right. Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. Anger belongs to fools, and I should know because I'm one. <laughs> the one who is easily provoked in spirit actually fails to fear the Lord, certainly in that moment. We've all had to dance the dance around the person who battles to manage self-control with their temper, that tortuous feeling of walking on eggshells. Now, it's easy to see the ugly side of anger when you're on the receiving end of it. The challenge for us today is to see the ugly side of our anger when we're the cause of it. And there's not just one type of anger or ungodly display of anger, because actually it's not so much the anger, it's the ungodly display of anger. So here are a different range of styles of anger. You work out which one's yours, or you could at the end of it say all of the above. In Proverbs 14, 17, we're reminded a quick-tempered person does what? Foolish things. One of those foolish things, of course, is violence. It can be anything from road rage. Still remember the day my dad got punched in the face because he bit the car in front of him, to domestic violence where husbands raise their hand against the, the woman they promised to love and protect to parents letting loose on their kids because they're exasperated. Anger. Anger can produce violence. Uh, more often, it produces ungodly words. Blasphemy, where the precious name of Jesus is vomited out of our mouth. Um, cruel words, uh, words that are like knives plunged into the hearts of those whom we love, uh, destroying their, their self-esteem. Uh, swearing. Proverbs 27.4 says, Anger is cruel and fury overwhelming. Cruel words that leave shattered lives behind. We may take pride in the fact that we're not, most of us are probably not violent people, but that's only because we don't understand the power and damage done by cruel words. Cruel words. One lady I spoke to, she said, Ray, I, my, my partner beat me from head to toe, black and blue. But she said, you know what really hurt? It was those words that he said. They're still ringing in my ear. The power of words. I'm not surprised that when Jesus says what he says in Matthew 5.21, the passage for today, he says this, You have heard that it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder, sixth commandment, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, here is Jesus displaying his godness. I tell you, anyone who is angry with a brother or a sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or a sister, Raka is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Seriously, who hasn't said to the TV screen about a sport they're watching and said to the referee, you idiot? I've been guilty of it many a time. 
forgetting that person's made in the image of God. Jesus is saying anger and murder spring from the same heart. He is saying that if left unforgiven, we'll end up in the same place. And that worst of all, that words that spring from anger kill. Some time ago, I was preparing actually this passage in another context. And, uh, and I was meditating on Jesus' words about anger and murder. And I remembered years earlier when my son was about five, how he woke me up. I'd had a series of long nights uh, long days, long nights. I was really exhausted. And he woke me up to turn on the TV or something. He was very young. And I got very upset with him. And years later, as I'm preparing this message, and I'm, and I'm remembering what I d- said to my son, and I'm hearing the words of Jesus, and I remember typing the words, I murdered my son that day. That's what I did. I murdered my son that day. And it wouldn't be the only time. That's why Proverbs calls these words death words. Proverbs 18.21. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Anger produces death that crushes everyone. But of course, of course, there's also the style of anger that's just silent and deadly, is there not? What's called often passive aggressiveness. And maybe you don't identify with the angry outbursts, but maybe... Maybe for you, it's the, it's the passive aggressiveness that goes on for hours, days, months, years that slowly choke relationships to death. People Punishing people by saying nothing. Um, punishing people by sulking or cynicism or sharp jabs of sarcasm or the refusal to give eye contact all the time inflicting pain on the other person without ever raising your voice. I remember once... It was a bad year. I, I, it was, you know, you, you sort of there are years you think that was not one of my better years, and uh, I I managed to sulk in my marriage for five weeks. Now it was a certain type of sulking where no one else could see it but just my wife. It was very finely tuned sulking. I was punishing her for who knows what. In fact, it went on for so long I couldn't even remember most of the time. I had to keep reminding myself. Anyway, after five weeks. I was exhausted. And I said to her, Sam, look, I'm so sorry. I've been, I've been sulking. I've been punishing you. And she said, really? I didn't even notice it. <laughs> well, served, my, served, served me right for doing that. The only person I punished was myself. And the result is no one feels safe around an angry person. Um, everyone's on tender hooks, not sure where the next hit's going to come from. Husbands and wives always on edge. Uh, workmates have worked out a bad day for an angry person is a bad day for everybody else. And how many good times turn into bad times because someone fails to exercise self-control? Because what does anger do? It escalates conflict. You know, the person who does not control their temper just always makes everything worse. Proverbs 15, 18 says it very clearly. A hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient, what does he do? Calms a quarrel. Conflict happens. Unavoidable. It's just life. You can't, put, you can't put sinners together and not have, not, not, not have conflict. The real issue is, is when a person doesn't manage their anger in the conflict. You know, a minor skirmish becomes a major war. It's like pouring petrol, gasoline on a small spark that ends up being a massive flame. Because why? There's no gentle answer that turns away wrath. That's how Proverbs 15.1 puts it. A gentle answer turns away wrath, anger, 
but a harsh word stirs up anger. My son, who's, uh, as you'll see through this talk, much more godly than I, um, I remember I was upset at something, and he was about 12 at the time, and he looked at me and he said, Now, Dad, do you think you're being reasonable at this point? <laughs> I guess not, son. I'm very sorry. <laughs> but see what he did? I was, I was being inappropriately harsh, and he just spoke straight to it with a gentle answer and completely collapsed me. You, you kind of think it should have been the other way around, I know, but anyway, that's the way it is. And what's really worse is when the person has a beautiful face to the world and is downright mean at home. (laughs) Anger creates haunted homes. It's hell living with a person who doesn't manage their anger, whether it slips into escalating it in terms of fury or violence or cruel words or passive aggressiveness. And people make excuses for you in the end. It's, you know, and given a choice, they prefer not to be in your company and they try to avoid you. And what's really tragic is whatever good things you've done, however gifted you are, however, however many abilities you have, in the end, you're just known as the angry person. So where does all this come from? Well, <clears throat> when we think about the origins of anger, there's, of course, original sin. You know, we were born bent. We sin by choice, but we sin by nature. You know, the heart of the problem is the problem of the human heart and ungodly displays of anger. And remember, that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about anger so much as ungodly displays of anger. You know, that springs from all of our hearts one way or another. But then we, we can learn it from our culture. We can learn it through our parents. You know, Maltese culture, where I'm from, you know, it's an angry culture. We've mastered the art of anger. Um, and so there's a lot of undoing many of us have to do, especially if you're from kind of peasant Maltese culture like me. May have learned it through a parent. You know, I, I watched my dad often. Whenever he was under pressure, he lost his temper. Now, you grow up and seeing those two things happen all the time, you're being taught. Pressure means I lose my temper. It's okay. To, when one thing happens, the other thing's okay to happen. So it's very good for you to reflect on how have you learned to manage anger from one or both of your parents? And sometimes it's a result of not being parented enough, underparenting. Proverbs 29 says, A rod and a reprimand impart wisdom, but a child left undisciplined disgraces its mother. I really thank God for my mum. She, um, she noticed, well, there was one time, I, I, I'm no good with my hands, I can't fix things very well. And my bike was broken, I was trying to fix it, and it wouldn't be fixed, so I kept kicking it. And she saw me just, you know, just kicking the bike. And she pulled me aside, she said, Ray, if you don't learn to manage your temper what will happen is you'll end up hurting someone and end up in jail. What a loving thing that my mother did to me that day. She loved me enough to warn me that left to myself, something worse can happen. But what is anger? Anger either functions to either punish others or protect you from more pain. Psychologists often call anger a secondary emotion. It's not the primary core emotion. That when you peel back anger, what have you got? but a heart that's hurting. That's what you've got. So our anger wants to either punish someone who's hurting us or it wants to protect us from more hurt. Um, I remember one time I was upset with my wife, Sandy, who we were driving, and she'd said something that really, I felt really disrespected by it. But uh, all she got, though, all she got was harsh words from me. She never got to see my 
heart that was hurting. Why? Because I gave her my heart gift-wrapped in barbed wire. And that's what anger is, you know, a hurt heart that's wrapped up in barbed wire. And it's very hard to know how to manage that because the anger gets in the way. I wonder if that's how you try to share your hurt with people when you're disrespected. And it's interesting, my anger kept us apart, but when I finally explained to her, actually, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said what I said. It was actually, I think I felt disrespected when you said what you said. Well, she could hear that. It's hard to hear anger, but it's easier to hear hurt. So anger keeps us apart, but sharing our hurts often brings us together. But why didn't I tell her I was hurting? Because of pride, male pride. I didn't want her to, I didn't want to be vulnerable with her. And that's the core problem with anger. It's pride. You know, our anger almost is kind of us playing God. Our anger is about demanding that we be treated properly and won't be tied to anyone who gets in our way. Our anger is about us playing judge and jury. Anger. It carries within it this spirit of demandingness. I demand to be treated properly. And if you don't do it, you are going to pay one way or another. James 4 says that, doesn't he, in his own way. James 4, verse 1, he says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have. Why? Because you do not ask God. You see, these so often we have legitimate desires to be treated properly, respect, love. But what happens is, with pride, we turn those legitimate desires into demandingness. And when our goal is blocked, we make others pay the price. You think about the last time you lost your temper, said things you shouldn't have said, were sarcastic, cynical, passive-aggressive. What was it? Ask yourself the question, what was it that you wanted that you weren't getting from the other person? What was it? And it could be anything, peace, patience, uh, perfection, praise, self um, sorry, uh, respect, love, the car to start. <laughs> now ask the next question. Whose decision ultimately was it to not give you that? Remember Romans 8, 28, that very famous verse that people often misquote? God says we know that in all things, even when people say things that they shouldn't say to us, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, have been called according to his purpose, with what purpose in mind? To be conformed to the image of his son. Now that's fascinating to me. Because God is saying, I know they meant it for evil when they, were, when they hurt you. But in that very same act, I'm meaning it for good. God is saying the failure of others becomes the laboratory in which I actually want you to grow in the fruit of the spirit. Here's a radical, here's a radical idea. Once this dawned on me, it kind of threw me back. The very people you thought cause your anger are the very people whom God is using to help you to be slow to anger. What? That seems so back to front to me. All the people I blame who are causing my anger are actually the very same people whom God is using. Say, oh, no, no. They're not the reason why you're angry. They're the reason why God wants you to be slow to anger. What? Because God is working in all things. Because I want you to be like my son, he says. See, so much of our fighting in the end actually is against God himself. 
And we keep demanding that we're in heaven now. You know, because in heaven everything will be right. Every spouse will be on time. Not naming names there, just every relationship will be right. Every boss will be encouraging. Every engine will work. But in the meantime, it's not going to be like that. We are outside the garden. We live after the fall. Life is broken. And I really don't have an excuse when I behave in an ungodly way with my anger. A counsellor once said to my friend, what would happen, George, if you said goodbye to angry George? And he thought about it and he said, well, who will speak up for me? Who will, who will defend me? And really the answer is twofold. One, look to Jesus, who's got your back. Stop over-claiming, you know, stop taking everything in, into, into your control. But the second thing is, learn from Jesus how to handle wrongs in a godly way. Do you remember when he was being interrogated on the night before he was crucified by the chief priests? And he said something, and the soldier next to him smacked him in the face? He's smashing the creator of the universe in the face. And Jesus looks at him and says, you remember what he says? If I said something wrong, tell me what it is. But if I didn't, why did you hit me? Oh, that's how you handle injustice. That is righteous anger. He didn't lose it. Well, wait till, wait till I get you on the day of judgment. You are dead meat. <laughs> he just spoke quietly and straight to him about the injustice. Godly confrontation. And learning how to Conduct yourself with godly confrontation is the way to do it when you've been on the receiving end of injustice. Okay. Let's conclude with a series of important responses. Number one, firstly, we've just got to understand how serious God views ungodly displays of anger. Like, we've just got to get that in our heads. Anger grieves God's spirit. And anger damages those in our life. Like, is that clear to you? I remember one time, it was uh, Mother's Day. It was in my previous church. We had a lot of services, like two seasons. There was a little window on Mother's Day to go and drive 45 minutes and meet up with the family and, and celebrate Mother's Day for my mother. And we all were providing a different food. For us, it was uh, a, a very big salad. Anyway, we're on our way. We're done. It's very quick, limited time. And my wife, Sandy, says, oh, we need to go and get mung beans for the salad. Mung beans? I mean, do you know what mung beans are? They're awful. You wouldn't even choose to have them. Well, I wouldn't anyway. But Sandy, my wife, felt we had to have the mung beans on the salad. I said, you're kidding. We're so late. Time is so tight. Okay. So I pull into a fruit and vegetable shop. She goes off to get the mung beans. And I'm in the car waiting. I'm really annoyed. And I, and I whisper under my breath, stupid woman. <laughs> anyway, my son, that's the same son as before. Yeah. When he was about five, he said, now, Daddy, when you speak like that about mummy, it really hurts me. Now, you feel it because I grieve my son, and rightly so. But you know, I grieve someone more important than my son. I grieve the spirit of God who will raise me from the dead on the last day. Anger, it gets in the way of how much God loves people. Notice that? It gets in the way. Our anger gets in the way of how much God loves people. It's the one great marker for or clue or causes for divorce. 
and marriage breakdown. Ungodly anger. Do you know how successful it is? It has a 100% failure rate attached to it. Why do we do it? I don't know. It really is not only wrong, it's stupid. Look at James 1.20. James 1.20 says this, For man's anger, by the way, that's ladies as well. I know what you're thinking, ladies, but it's not just about men. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Isn't it amazing? It's not like it succeeds 20% of the time or 5% of the time. Man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. It never does any good. You know that. You think of the last time you shot out a text, an email, or blurted out something in an angry tone. Chances are it just made it worse. Oh, you might have got their attention. Learn this rule. I found this. I, it came to me one day, and it minister, has ministered to me many times, and it's this. Your anger is always worse than the thing you're angry at. Your anger is always worse than the thing you're angry at. Do you want to say it with me? Your anger is always worse than the thing you're angry at. Now, it's easy to say it's actually hard to believe. The righteous, for man's anger, does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. And in the end, friends, we've got no excuse. Because I tell you, if you give yourself permission for your ungodly display of anger, if you justify it for just a millisecond, you know what you're doing? You're just setting yourself up for doing it all over again. If you tell yourself, I had the right to do it because they behaved that way and I had the right, they started and well, I finished it. <laughs> you tell yourself that, you're just giving yourself permission to do it all over again and again and again and again. It's only when you come to terms with the fact that you are never justified in your ungodly display of anger, that you will begin the slow, painful, long journey of putting that sin to death. We have no excuse. Is that clear, brothers and sisters? Not you telling me, but to yourself, is that clear? Because you won't won't make progress in this issue at all unless you wear that one. Secondly, uh, or, or, or next, you have a choice I love the way Ephesians 4.26 puts it. In your anger, do not sin. See how he, he, Paul actually understands you can be angry, but it doesn't have to flip into ungodly behavior. It's possible to be angry and handle it right. And once you start to have victories in this area, it actually, it's like you're exercising a muscle that you get better at and better at. It doesn't have to always end up with destruction and harm and conflict. But I tell you what, sometimes it doesn't feel like a choice. It, it's like a mousetrap, you know. You know, something happens and you just kind of respond quicker than you even got. Your brain is kind of left behind as your mouth has taken off. <laughs> How did that happen? And, you, and it really feels like it's not a choice. I get that. Believe me, I get that. And I thought that right up until one day. I was upset at something. It was a Saturday morning. There was a knock on the door. I opened the door, and all of a sudden, I went from being upset to being this very nice, mild-mannered pastor, just like that. How did that happen? That was a miracle. And you know what? I bet you you had the same miracle as you were coming in today. You had a fight in the car. By the time you get to the elevator, hello, everyone. Good to see you. (laughs) And I don't know what it was that morning, but that was the morning I realized, come on, Ray, you do have a choice. 
Because the moment that door opened and there was someone else you could have been embarrassed about, you, you managed it well. Shame on me. <laughs> and then pray constantly and deliberately. Whether your style of anger, obviously if it's violence, of course, it's, it's, it's extremely serious, isn't it? But it's, you don't have, it doesn't have to. I think we think to ourselves, if it's violence, that's in a separate category. Well, it's on the same spectrum, brothers and sisters. It doesn't have to be violence for you and I to take it seriously. Passive-aggressive sulking does long-term damage. Cruel words does long-term damage. Rage does long-term damage. And if this is your issue, and it's probably, I think, a lot of us in different ways, you need to make it your lifelong project. I would have, for a long time, uh, have a section of my prayer cards devoted to this issue. I would ask myself a set of questions. I would pray about it deliberately and intentionally because I wanted to deal with this issue. I did not want it to win over me. I wanted to win or by the grace of God have victory over it. Go to counselling. Um, hey, I mean, by this stage, I'd actually, I've, I've dealt, I, th- I felt like I dealt with my anger. But I remember going to an anger management course to help a couple of guys, encourage them to go. And I remember calling after book for this course in, back in Sydney. And the guy on the phone said, uh, do you have a criminal record? No. Do you have an apprehended violence order on you? No. But, you know, the more he was talking, the more I was realising that's right. Because anger that's not dealt with can actually lead to devastating effects. I preached this message uh, some years ago, pretty much the same message, and, uh, and, I, and I threw out the challenge, and it was to heal the wounds of those you have caused, to heal the wounds you have caused and I have caused. And so I'd love more than anything to really plead with you today, go to those people in your life, spouse, children, friends, work colleagues, whatever, and sit with them and say, look, can I ask you a favour? Can you tell me what it's like for you when I behave badly with my anger? Could you do that for me? Because I need to understand. And when they start to tell you, and they're going to be scared because they're, not, they're probably afraid you're going to lose your temper with them. But as they begin to tell you what it's like for them, tell yourself, I've got no excuse. I've got no excuse. And own it, embrace it, and apologise in an unqualified way. Well, I threw that challenge out. I'll be honest with you, very few people take up the challenge. It's sad to me, but very few take it up, at least that I'm aware of. But after this one conference, this man sent me this email. I was so encouraged by it. I'm going to end this talk by sharing it with you, that God can change us. And this is what he said. I think we've got the words on the screen. I've been a Christian for over 30 years. As I reflected on the anger I showed to my own family, I realized the truth of one of your statements. Your anger is always worse than the thing you're angry at. And I came also to the realization that my justified anger was actually a vain attempt to take over God's job in protecting others, but mainly myself. After the talk, I made up my mind to meet this issue head on and take responsibility for my anger. I sat my family down and I asked them, What was it like for them when I lost my temper? One of my children said it had made them feel afraid. Another said, makes me want to run away. Sometimes it it was like walking on eggshells. It's very humbling to do it, but I knew I had to do it and not give my flesh any more excuses. 
I repented in front of them and asked them each individually for their forgiveness. My family prayed for me and we all wept. One of my daughters prayed and thanked God for the courage I'd been given to confront this issue. This experience has drawn me even closer to my family and them to me. Even in three short weeks, I've noticed a difference in my relationships, especially with my middle daughter. Is that not beautiful? Because one person decided, one person decided, I'm not going to let the word of God fall to the ground again. I'm going to let it, by the grace of God, minister to my spirit and transform me. And when you have fallen and you will fall again, remember this truth. You can't fight a sin that's not already forgiven. You can't. Jesus, who taught these tough words on anger and likened it to murder, is the same Jesus who, by Matthew chapter 27, three years later, will find himself at the cross taking your sins and God's wrath upon himself so that you and I could be forgiven for all the times we behaved ungodly with our anger. So don't get tired of asking for forgiveness because he never gets tired of forgiving. And never forget that in Christ Jesus, you can't make God angry. That's what frees us up to take on the challenge to in our anger, not sin. And friends, when the change starts to happen, you praise God because the Spirit of God is in you, wanting to work with you to transform you in this area. I beg you, friends, don't let these words fall to the ground. Let's pray in Jesus' name. Oh, Heavenly Father, we praise you for you are slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. We praise you, Lord Jesus, for going to the cross and taking upon yourself the judgment that our sins deserve, including the sin of anger in its many forms. And we pray today, we declare today that this stops. No more excuses, Lord. No more justifications. No more explaining away the fact that because they hurt us, we have a right to hurt them. We pray and beg, Lord, by the conviction of your spirit that these words will not fall to the ground, that in our anger we will not sin, and that we will take that next step and invite our loved ones to tell us what it is, what it was like for them when we were angry, so that we may begin to minister and heal their wounds. Oh, Lord, we beg you that today will be the day of, of the day we say goodbye to angry us. And that today is the day where in our anger we sin not. And we pray all this in Jesus' powerful name. And all the saints said...